Welcome back, everybody. This is Andrew Bott with Meat Founders. And I love that song way too much. <laughs> I should have been a DJ in another life. But um, just first, uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, we have a great chat today with Robin Bond. Uh, Robin is the founder of Codefinery. And uh, we have a great conversation about how he started his business, his advice for other businesses on uh, everything from marketing to, um, you know, initial strategy while they're building their, uh, your first few clients. My favorite parts were when we talked about, you know, how to change the wheels on a moving bus to bring, you know, greater success and, uh, and speeds to companies that are already going and um, how to shift things to help the company strategically and at the same time improve day-to-day operations, which can be a really difficult thing to do as you're growing a successful business. To make any changes can be scary. Um, but uh, my favorite quote from the whole thing was, tell me what problem you solve. You know, People buy solutions to problems. So uh, I won't steal a show. Uh, without further ado, this is you know the rest of the episode, and it's great to have you all back. So I think you know to start off, I would love to hear, you know, just to hear about Codefinery, and you know uh, wh- why your clients pick you, and just you know what you do. Sure, thanks, Andrew. Um, delighted to be asked to be involved with this podcast. So, um, so yeah, Codefinery is a management consultancy for agencies. Uh, I founded the business because um, my kind of career path through working with all sorts of different kinds of marketing agencies um, over the last um, sort of 20 years or so, I'd always worked in the growth of the business in some way. So I was never a a creative person, you know, creating advertising, for example. So I was always more on the commercial side, looking at how the business was going to make more money, how it was going to bring in new clients, how it's going to grow the ones that it had. And um, as I got through my career, I realized that so many agencies had so many of the same kinds of issues. It made sense to build uh, a consultancy model which spoke to those problems. Um, The way the industry is evolving, it's getting, uh, you know, those issues are becoming more acute. So it's a good time to run that kind of business. So in terms of what it does, um, functionally, it's a mixture of consultancy and coaching and mentoring. But in terms of the proposition, I work with the founders and chief execs of all kinds of agency businesses. And ultimately, it's about finding the the shortest course between where they are and where they want to get to. And one of the facets of that market is that a lot of those business leaders just don't have a lot of time or headspace to think very much at all about where it is they're headed. So it's actually quite a quick win a lot of the time to help them clarify their destination. And then, of course, you can you know put a roadmap together and decide how much of that they can do themselves, how much of that work you know I might be able to help them get there quicker with and whether I know people that they should be talking to, which also help them get there quicker. That's basically it. All of the, the sort of the business models around the table are not that different. All of the, uh, the kind of sets of capabilities aren't that different. Um, but what is hugely different between those people is their attitudes, their starting points, the limitations they place on themselves. So yeah, a lot of the time it is about you know what, I run an agency business, I kind of know that what got, you know, what's got my business here is not going to get my business there. I need to be progressive in my thinking, I need to challenge myself to do things you know, differently and to have the courage to move away from what worked before. Um, 
how do I do that? I don't have all the answers. You know, maybe some external perspective could help. Um, there's just as many agency leaders who don't feel able to admit that they don't have all the answers. Mm. Um, classically, as an industry, um, it's not generally that commercially minded. So a lot of people running businesses ha don't have any sort of formal education around business. And frankly, neither, neither do I. <laughs> I've got a biology degree, so that was uh, not massively helpful. Um, but I think a lot of it is about time. So we can forget about those agency founders and chief execs that are wedded to the way they've always done things right. because they're, you know, they're effectively not, uh, you know, they're not in the market, if you like, for help, whether that's from my business or anybody else. Mm -hmm. But those that are, um, yeah, for sure, time and headspace is is a big uh, a big kind of source of inertia, if you like. Um, uh, as is courage, you know, I think sometimes to be more focused, which is something I talk about a lot, mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, you know, comes back to that old cliche that the essence of strategy is sacrifice. And sacrifice is something, you know, when you're going to start doing fewer things or doing them in a more targeted way, mm -hmm. it's easy to think that means smaller or uh, that specialized means niche. Uh, and none of those things are, are true. And actually, you can focus to open up a much larger world, much larger revenue opportunity, much higher profitability. Um, if you have the headspace and the, the kind of attitude that thinks actually maybe there's a better way of doing this. And that's a big thing for my clients. Mm. The willingness to change. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. In, in the last interview uh, we did on the podcast, or, or might be the second last at this point, the founder we were talking to had interviewed you know billionaires around the world, self-made billionaires, and talked about how their mindset is always you know, uh, just like it is on, you know, a football field where everyone goes, plays by the same rules. You know, everyone has the same number of team members, but it's the approach and everyone has the same physical limitations. There's certain things bodies just can't do. Uh, but at the same time, you know, their approaches, their attitudes, their limitations, uh, and their willingness to try new things are what, you know, allow them to set apart. It sounds like you're saying something similar. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, um, there would be no self-help industry if that wasn't right. true. You know, I think that, um, I don't know, I'm reminded of something I read from uh, uh, Scott Adams, you know, the guy that does Dilbert. Um, I don't even know if he still does Dilbert, but the, the cartoon strip uh, Dilbert, it's kind of about office life and it's got a kind of skewed and slightly left field view of the world. Something he said that I read years ago that stuck with me was that he wasn't the best cartoonist in the world and he wasn't the best writer in the world, but, um, you know, he had no chance of ever becoming the best at either of those things but actually putting those two skills together and creating a well-written well-drawn cartoon strip obviously made him you know hugely successful and I do think that you are um, I suppose disproportionately limited by your attitude as an individual and certainly in my line of work as an agency business or any professional service business or probably any kind of business mm -hmm. it's disproportionately limited by your attitudes more than your capabilities um, because uh, it's probably far easier to change your capabilities than it is your attitudes. We can probably debate that long into the night, sure. whether, whether <laughs> you know, habit changes attitude or attitude changes habit. I know where I sit on, the, or what side of the fence I sit on that, but, you know, there are people in the world who feel as though, you know, the, the world owes them a living and that life is something that happens to them. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and I find those people quite draining. Um, and I'm sure there aren't that many of them in your audience. Mm -hmm. But um, on the flip side, there are people who um, see everything as an opportunity and are positive and, um, you know, certainly not to the point of arrogance. You know, they're able to recognize where, you know, sort of uh, unfettered confidence isn't that helpful. They think they can do something, they might need some help. 
but certainly that attitude of you know what we'll find a way um, is a real kind of uh, uh, catalyst to you know whether it's entrepreneurship whether it was me setting up my own business or indeed the kind of change that um, you know I'd advocate advocate for within my client base mm -hmm. so it's it, it's easy I think one of the problems folks face who are just who are new entrepreneurs or even those those folks running that big company is just the direction you're going you know how do you make these giant changes so you know especially with with your clients now I, I definitely want to talk about the past at some point and how you got through your first few years but I'm really curious how you advocate those kind of big changes to to your clients because it's easy to say yeah, I, this is what I want, you know, I'm going to make a change towards something. But w once a train is going, <laughs> it can be really difficult to, to change the direction of the tracks or to know w to know what you're doing isn't going to just mess everything up, you know. And, I, and I'm sure, or I, I would suspect that that's a big concern of some of your clients. Um, but, I, but I would love to hear your, your perspective on that. Yeah, I mean, again, it's a massive question. There's that classic uh, cliche, which... I personally trot out on a regular basis about changing the wheels on a moving bus. Um, I'm sure there are kind of different ways of expressing that. It is hard, you know. It's it's you know turning the oil tank around, whatever the the, the metaphor is. Um, but you got to look at the alternatives. You know, some people I go to meetings with, you know, they're chief execs of you know businesses that aren't doing badly at all. They're jogging along. They're making a decent margin. Um, those people are mindful of the challenges in their industry. They are aware that things aren't getting any easier. They kind of accept that if they carry on as they are, things are going to get harder for them, whether that's new competitors coming into the marketplace or you know, client behavior changing so that it's harder to make money or harder to retain clients in the long term or issues around you know, talent being lost to other, you know, other industries or you know, better paying industries or whatever. They're well aware of all the challenges, but the question is whether they're actually ready to do anything about it. Right. And I think that's, that's kind of the bigger question. There's, it's just, have I, um, have I connected the frustrations that I see coming down the road with uh, you know, a pressing need and urgency to do something about it now? And I think what's, I suppose what's interesting, what I've found is that it's sometimes not the big terrifying, is my business going to be viable in the next 18 months, three years, whatever. It's kind of more the day-to-day -day stuff that people start with. So um, it's sometimes more motivating for a chief exec or a founder of one of my clients to think about, do you know what, it really pisses me off that, um, I don't know if I can swear in this podcast. Of course. Um, I don't know if piss really counts as a swear word in your world. I don't know. Not a, maybe on an Apple podcast. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, we'll we'll be careful. But um, yeah, it, it, it's, it worries them less that their business might not be viable. It worries them more that they're kind of annoyed that being dragged into every single conversation in the business. They're annoyed at having to sort out every client issue. They're annoyed that every client expects them to be in every meeting. They're annoyed that they're the one that has to chase invoices or whatever. And sometimes they feel like they've kind of done their time at the cold face and they want to be you know, able to just, again, classic cliche, which uh, is unavoidable. They want to work on or in the business. And actually sort of drawing a line between, okay, well, if these are the, the kind of the hurdles between you and having the kind of you know, working day and working week and work-life balance that you feel as though you should have, let's look at how much of those are, um, you know, how much of those outcomes are also caused by you know looking strategically at the business it's not just a sort of well let's just tweak your job role a little bit let's maybe hire someone to take some of the admin load off you it could be those things 
but actually once you start to make a connection between you know big long-term strategic decisions for the agency and sensible planning about where they're going to make money where they add value how their audience is changing they start to see that ah and actually this is going to make my day job much better i'm going to be focused on you know the future value of the company i'm not going to be dragged into every decision about every hire or you know what kind of biscuits we have in the kitchen um, that seems to light a fire under them as much as being oh, shit we might go out of business next week sure. so it's it's sometimes the little things are the big things could, could you give uh, just to the listeners who aren't in your industry maybe one example of of the of what you just said applied you know uh, you don't have to say any names or anything but I'm curious what that what that would mean for you know like a problem that came to you uh, the advice that you gave and how that turned into you know what, what what you just said where they were able to um you know shift things that helped the company strategically and also helped them get some of the the day-to-day issues sorted yeah so there's um i suppose this is a sort of slightly genericized account um but i can think of a number of um sort of mid-size business leaders um that i've worked with where their initial um issue is almost boredom so they're running a you know reasonably successful business. Um, it's making money. It's it's growing okay. Maybe it's plateaued a bit, but you know they've got a good lifestyle. They take nice holidays. Their kids are in you know private schools. They've got a they've got a you know a high end car. You know <laughs> life isn't bad. And yet um, perhaps they have more of an entrepreneurial zeal than they had previously admitted to. But there's just something that means they're a bit, they're just a bit bored. You know, it's it's not that it's too easy, but it's they're kind of in their safe zone. And I think often that's characterised by, you know, as a founder or um, you know the CEO or the MD of that business, it's kind of the buck stops with you over everything. And I think that's part of their frustration is that they've never it's the lack of progress as much as anything else. So as much as you enjoy being pivotal to running that business, you're also quite frustrated by the fact that kind of, um, man, is, is sales still my job? Is HR still my job? Am I still effectively the finance director? Even in businesses that have people heading up these functions, for that kind of founder, let's say, who is um, still so intimately involved with every part of the business, as I say, right down to the choice of biscuits in the kitchen, um, it can get a bit of a grind. Sure. So, um, you know that person might be thinking about well how do i solve this and they're thinking quite sort of uh, i suppose a smaller picture of how to solve it do i need a do i finally need to bite the bullet and you know get a pa you know do i need to get some training in to help you know that next level of sort of management come through and help them feel more comfortable and confident um and you start to unpick that and look at um the reasons why those kind of um uh, they're kind of like sticking plasters you know they're not going to solve the problem strategically they're just going to help a few people get better at a few things or take off some of that admin burden so if you start thinking bigger picture about it and go well okay well let's look at the potential of the business let's look at the reasons why you're getting dragged into every little thing let's look at the reasons why is it only you for example in this business that can sell and this is classic of independent agencies for sure if they are run by someone that knows the discipline better you know, they've got more grey hairs, they've got more credibility, they know all of the case studies because they've been there forever. Um, you know, a lot of the, the, the kind of new clients come along through the black book, you know, kind of mutual introductions from friends or past clients. They're the first point of call for a lot of those clients. Mm-hmm. Um, they can quickly kind of get, you know, boxed into feeling like it's them and their personality that is the only thing that anyone's buying into. And that can certainly be true. 
but if you can start to depersonalize it and start to think about okay strategically what is this business really really good at where can it excel you know where if you were to introduce more focus to its proposition or to its definition of its audience or the way it goes to market or the way it's structured or processes or who it hires you start to look holistically at the business um, you can start to you know take the personality out of it and start to organize it in a way which you know demonstrates what it does independent of the talent of one individual so it's not an overnight fix but it's certainly not as long and you know necessarily revolutionary as it needs to be you can just introduce more focus into the company which allows you to you know build the confidence of everybody in it there's more clarity around where it adds value and it's not just oh you know what let uh, let john sort it out let jane sort it out you know whoever it's no we can do that we know how to do this this is our skill we're focused we're experts um, and that's really what takes the business beyond being, you know, uh, sort of the preserve of one personality. A similar thing happens when they want to scale, you know, to different offices overseas. You know, how do we export culture? Well, you don't do that by asking a founder to be in every office all of the time. It can't, it can't work that way. So you have to introduce more focus and structure um, and, you know, the minimum amount of process without, you know, kind of making the place bureaucratic. Mm -hmm. But um, you've got to be able to talk about what makes the business good and then you know kind of formalize how that gets baked into the rest of the company because that founder just can't walk all the corridors of all the countries all the time of course not. yeah so it sounds like em empowering employees is that basically what you're saying yep yeah, i think um things like uh clarity and focus within these types of businesses are transformative and i think by giving real kind of certainty to people and giving them the skills and the structures around them and the you know just the clarity of what it is that we do here and why we do it gives people a reason to stay and a re you know and a, an enjoyment in what they do it makes their clients and colleagues respect them more um, so you know it's a great way of building loyalty you know within your uh, you know within your team love it uh, so I, I could definitely I don't want to get too lost because I really want to find out kind of your beginning journey um, you know, so uh, if we can rewind to when you, you know, got your biology degree yeah. and <laughs> and decided to start a consultancy for agencies, um, I would love just, you know, kind of how you got into into marketing and um, that that really beginning stage when you were, you know, uh, going after your first client or putting together your first value proposition and kind of how that uh, how that unfolded, if, if you will. Wow. Condense a lot of time into. I, I know, I know. <laughs> um, okay, so I think, uh, long story, somewhat shorter. I um, I did a, a science degree and I found it quite dull. Um, I learned more and more about less and less, which frustrated me. So I knew that I didn't want to be a bench scientist. I didn't want to have a, a white coat and work with centrifuges and pipettes for the rest mm -hmm. of my life. Um, and good luck to those that do, but um, it wasn't for me. So I rolled out of university, went to the first recruitment consultant I could find, and they sort of realized that I could spell and I could count, and I had no obvious sort of physical disfigurement. So, oh, have you tried sales? Um, no, I haven't. So um, so I found myself in a, in a tech business doing selling of things, um, which I loved. I loved the, the environment. I loved, you know, being out there, talking to different people every day, the variety of it, the kind of the motivation of it. So it sort of suited my personality. Um, fell into agencies um, just before the dot-com bubble burst and um, uh, had various ups and downs along the way but as I think as I mentioned the um, 
I was always in some kind of selling role, uh, and obviously those evolve, you know, marketing and business development and new business and, you know, the kind of commercial roles across a business vary. But generally, as you go through a career, you learn more and more about where your particular function sort of intersects with the rest of the company and you pick up more about how the all the different kind of cogs in the machine work. So um, I've done uh, that kind of growth role, whatever it's been called, in, you know, global network businesses. So you know, international holding companies, PLCs. Um, I've done it for um, startup companies. I've done it for independents that have sold to larger companies. So um, I've also moved around quite a lot um, within different types of discipline. Let's call it marketing for the sake of clarity. But um, there are a lot of different sub-disciplines within that, whether it's advertising or media or PR or content or social media or whatever. So it's relatively unusual to have sort of ploughed a very kind of consistent career path within uh, something like growth and new business and sales and so on but also quite unusual to have moved across different disciplines you know within the agency world so basically I made a load of mistakes and um, uh, made um, some lucky decisions and uh, had a lot of success in amongst all that and sort of pieced it all together and um, uh, recognized that so many of the the issues around growth that you know agency businesses face are quite consistent and actually the the hurdles for those companies are um, albeit nuanced uh, quite consistent when you've been hired so many times to come in and sort this stuff out um, what I found was you join and then you suddenly become part of the problem so it actually suits a consultancy model far more than having someone coming in on a full-time basis mm. it's kind of the more complicated the agency space has got particularly over the last 10 years the more that growth role has changed it used to be that you just used to go where the clients were and try and convince them to work with you and actually now there's a much more, it's much more organisational. There's much less differentiation between the agency businesses out there. So the role is almost split into two. You, there's almost a kind of deciding, you know, what plates to spin and getting them spinning is a very different job to keeping the plates spinning. Right. So if you think my business is sort of better suited to the former, it allows uh, an agency business to then hire someone to do the ongoing day-to-day -day stuff from a much larger gene pool um, at a much lower cost point. You know, there just isn't the, the sort of long-term strategic work in most businesses to, to sustain a full-time role. So it's better to sort of mainline that missing expertise in, you know, quickly mm -hmm. than it is to, um, you know, sustain someone on a heavy salary over a long period of time because it doesn't really justify it in most businesses. Right. So anyway, that was a sort of realization, I think, um, to get down into the detail. Um, so about three years ago, which is when Codefinery was formed, um, I had had a couple of goes at consultancy work and then got sort of dragged back into full-time roles. Had a, uh, the last full-time role I did started as consultancy and sort of morphed into a full-time role. Um, and it, was, it wasn't a particularly healthy agency. Um, it was quite dysfunctional in a lot of ways. So I learned an awful lot actually. Um, and it gave me extra impetus to say, Do you know what, I think this consultancy thing is the right thing at the right time. I'm gonna have a go at it. Um, and then I had a massive stroke of luck. So um, I'm sure, Andrew, you've seen lots of uh, entrepreneurs talking about that sort of leap of faith, mm -hmm. you know, into the dark where you don't know where the next paycheck's going to come from. And it was like that to a degree, but I, I put some feelers out. Again, I'm fortunate that my work is, my world is quite um, uh, networked. So I was able to put some feelers out um, and uh, uh, I was... Uh, very fortunate that an agency um, who uh, had just recently been bought needed some help sort of unpicking how their new world needed to intersect with their old world okay. um, 
and they basically said come and do some work with us come and help us let's be really flexible about how we do it um, and uh, in effect it boiled down to them saying look you can have five days here one way one week you can have three days here the next just don't take the piss <laughs> so I didn't and um, was able to have you know enough free time within that to go and you know meet the accountant get the website set up think about what the name would be you know think about what the proposition would be and um, obviously still have money coming in at the same time so I you know rarely a week goes by um, when I don't thank my lucky stars for that that lucky bounce uh, thanks Chris if you're out there um, uh, much appreciated but um, see I think I, I knew from relatively early on that that initial engagement was going to be quite atypical because I was there for a few months and actually the, the model for my business is to work far more in sprints so I'm more likely to do it a few days here or a few days there um, come in solve a problem get out and if there are more problems to solve then great let's do that but let's let's talk about tangible change very quickly and um, yeah I suppose I haven't really looked back um, there has been um, uh, sort of fairly consistent demand for this kind of business um, there are some other competitors out there that do things, you know, related things, but in a different way. Mm. And I'm, I'm pleased about that because, again, that's the sort of essence of positioning is that there needs to be some difference between us all. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time to be in that space because of the challenges that agencies are facing. Um, and I love it. I absolutely, you know, I'm thrilled about, you know, uh, sort of being an entrepreneur. I'm thrilled about the liberation it gives me over my working day over my um, my energy levels you know as I mentioned the client sort of being ready to change um, I can deliver more value now in a few days than I used to be able to do in six months which is great it's a great way to earn a living people are ready ready to be led you know you don't get slowed down by bureaucracy all the right people are in a room to make things happen you know they kind of know the meters running so that you know they're motivated to change you only ever get hired when they're ready to do something so all of the things that make, you know... When it's, when it's urgent, when they hire. Exactly. Yeah. You're, you're there to get something done and people expect you to do something. And it suits me to be able to get my, you know, my arms around a problem or to grab it by the lapels and crack on and deal with it. Um, it's, uh, it's a very fast-moving, um, you know, and, and sort of... One thing that used to frustrate me when I had my sort of full-time roles was that sometimes you wouldn't find out for quite some time whether an idea was good or bad. You know, you might make a suggestion to the chief exec and you might hear back in six months in the largest businesses I work with, oh, yeah, that didn't go anywhere. And I found that really frustrating. So um, now it's, uh, you know, you find out on the day or certainly within a few weeks whether a good idea was has come to fruition or not. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, again, it's hugely liberating. You know, it's... So, so I'm curious, because uh, it sounds like the very first client was a little bit different than what your model is. Um, so I, I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, the second client and the third client uh, and what you did, because uh, a lot of the folks, you know, listening to, you know, the podcast and who are, you know, new entrepreneurs, their biggest issue are the first few clients and then growing from there. Because, you know, uh, once they have that process where they say, OK, I know that if I do this 100 times, I get 10 clients from it. Or I know that if I run this kind of ad, then I get clients from it. How did you build that initial process and how did you test and find those first people that needed you? So you knew that your proposition was right. You knew that your USP was right. Because I think we all make changes in the first few steps of our company to find, because now of course you're saying, you know, I'm positioned here. I have competitors positioned slightly differently. 
So I'm really curious how you got that initial positioning, how you knew where you fit in that, and how you learned that from your first, your second and third and, and fourth, you know, client to, in order to get them, you know, because lots of, lots of companies are sitting here saying, I know that I have a great thing to offer, uh, but I don't know how to show, you know, them the right, in the right way where they wanted to make a choice right away. Does that, am, am, is my, are my questions making sense? Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's another, um, uh, I suppose, uh, a sort of annoying answer in as much as I've been, <laughs> <laughs> I've been very lucky. Um, uh, there's a couple of things. So first of all, I, I think I realized quite early on that there is a big difference between saying you're a consultant and actually consulting. Um, it's certainly a cliche that people say that they're consulting when they're in, in between full-time jobs because yep. they, you know, they just try and capture some money at some point just to try and pay the mortgage. Which, and again, I've done that. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't really mean you're a consultant. And I think I realised that quite early. It's a different role. It's a different relationship. There's a different kind of mode of working, um, and there's a different set of expectations on you um, as a consultant as opposed to just someone that knows about stuff because you've been doing it a long time. So just sidestepping that for a second, the other the kind of the lucky thing was that if I was a, you know, a consulting architect or a consulting, um, oh, I don't know, um, paleontologist or, um, you know, a consulting finance director or something like that, um, I'd still have to go out there and effectively sell myself and find clients. And um, in my position, I'm having to do that, but I've been trained you know, to sell stuff. I've been trained to create propositions. I've been trained to put a marketing plan together. And I've been doing that for 20 years. So I have this huge inbuilt advantage that um, I'm sort of in my comfort zone. So that kind of entrepreneur's journey where you have to, you know, you hopefully, whether you sort of luck into something which seems to hold water and there seems to be some demand for it, mm-hmm. it probably comes more naturally to me to think, okay, well, what's working? Why is this working? How can I double down on this? Where should I take it? You know, who is this most um, valuable for? How should I price it? All of these things are, you know, uh, they seem my comfort zone. Mm. Um, so I'm hugely fortunate on that score that um, perhaps it kind of shortcuts that proposition refinement phase where you're, mm-hmm. you know, oh, that seemed to work last week. Was it what I said? Was it how I dressed? Was it, you know, was it the nature of the audience? Was it, did I price it right? Have I charged too little? Have I charged too much? You know, I'm still asking myself all those questions, but I'm being able to navigate that much more um, sort of effectively and to codify it into my business that much more um, directly, I suppose. So um, it's definitely a natural advantage. But I, mean, I suppose even, you know, talking more generally, what's helped me refine the business over time? Um, you know, I talk to a lot of people. Um, I, um, I trust my instincts. Um, I probably don't read as much as I used to but I've certainly found that very helpful um, again I, I try and sort of practice what I preach and again because a lot of what I talk about with my clients is based around you know growth and you know strategy proposition audience go to market you know behaviors language um, I can effectively be a, a sort of walking billboard for the things I advocate for mm-hmm. which I think we go back to the question about audience and about mindset those kind of clients that are minded to change do pick up on that stuff they recognize that the way that i'm behaving the way that i'm structuring conversations with them to convince them that 
you know, or at least for us to identify that's a good fit between us, they are recognizing those processes and approaches and thinking, I want to know how to do that. That's working on me. I think it would work on my clients. So again, there's a real benefit, uh, if you like, of being a, a kind of career, career long professional in what I've done. Um, it makes it that much easier to apply what knowledge I picked up along the way uh, as a consultant. So, um, yes, short answer. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of lucky. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, I, I, I like the things you're saying. I think uh, what would help folks, uh, so I'm going to jump forward, you know, in a couple of these questions. You know, uh, the, your website shows you've worked with, you know, uh, a number of different brands. Uh, including, you know, uh, pitches for, you know, Skype, uh, Eurostar, Experian, Spotify, P&G, Microsoft, <laughs> uh, a lot of different folks, Facebook, Ford. Um, uh, I'm really curious what uh, what you see, you know, these, you know, brands and the changes in digital communication, um, what you see th- them doing and how you think, you know, startups can compete with that. Because I, I think uh, you straddle both worlds in a really interesting way. You know, you're a startup helping these, you know, bigger brands and you know agencies that are helping those brands, um, and you're a startup yourself. Uh, so the way that you're reaching out to them is teaching them and convincing them to make changes. Uh, so I'm, I'm just really curious how you see those two different worlds tying in to the changes. Obviously, there's there's Everyone's talking about the changes, digital communication, and you know we've heard that over and over again. What I'm really curious about is uh, how you see, you know, startups competing with you know the big companies that have the budget um, and can make those changes. Uh, since you kind of have both worlds under your belt. Yeah, yeah, I, it's a really interesting question because I, th- I think that my clients can learn a huge amount from the startup world, and in some respects, there's a lot of sort of smart people in in startups. Um, perhaps the less experienced entrepreneurs that sort of don't know how um, liberated they are mm-hmm. from not being kind of you know burdened by the way things are done. So it seems to be a lot more freedom and a lot more um, sort of willingness to, uh, or almost an unawareness of the rules. So you don't need to worry about breaking them. You know, certainly within sort of younger startup businesses, and um, that's something I often have to spend quite a bit of attention on with my clients who are perhaps a little bit longer in the tooth, a little bit more sort of, uh, I don't know, wedded to the conventions of the agency business model mm-hmm. and having to get them to unbreak that stuff, uh, sorry, to break that stuff and to start thinking, well, you don't have to do it that way. So I think there's a huge opportunity for startups to sort of leverage their, you know, sort of, I don't know, sort of even a naivety, if you like, to be able to, um, you know, do something different and valuable for you know large you know companies and brands like the ones that you mentioned so um, I'm reminded of a something I saw a, an event um, uh, a year or so ago um, it was a bunch of brands you know kind of akin to the sort of blue chip brands that you mentioned and a bunch of um, different kinds of marketing agencies at an event together and there was the opportunity for the agencies to um, ask questions of people from these brands. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the questions which always gets asked is how do we get your attention? How do we kind of get in your diary? You know, we know that there's hundreds of agencies chasing you for a meeting. We know that we all kind of look and sound the same. You know, what's the secret? How do we, how do we break through all of the noise? And um, the client was like, well, 
you know, just tell me what problem you solve. It's as simple as that. Tell me what problem you solve. And I think generally agencies are very bad at this because they spend a lot of time and energy talking about their capabilities. What we can do. Yeah, what we can do rather than what outcome do we cause. And it sounds like a really simple shift, but it's that client centricity is so often lacking in agency businesses. And interestingly, I think one of the things that the startup world is very good at is, again, a couple of cliches which I think are really powerful. One is, you know, lead to your offer, don't lead with your offer. And that kind of goes hand in hand with the idea of sell the problem first. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of good, the kind of classic startup, you know, uh, sales decks or pitches to VCs that you see going around on Medium or on, you know, on LinkedIn or whatever, sure. they do this really well. They say, look, look, investor, and in the agency's case, look, client, right. the world has changed. That's genie's not going back in the bottle. Here are some pretty serious implications for you. This is why you need to act now. That is a good job of selling the product, selling the problem. If you agree with this change, if you agree with our sort of diagnosis of the impact on you, then we should talk about why our business is, you know, designed specifically to help you solve that problem. And I think startups do that really well. Uh, agencies don't do that well. Well, startups that have that don't don't crash and burn do that well. <laughs> well <laughs> Not every startup does that well. Yeah. Just to be clear, but it's 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 funny. I mean, the lessons from startup land, I think, are um, you know uh, very useful for agency businesses. But the interesting thing was, I mean, another kind of question that goes round and round in in my world, if you like, those same agencies. In fact, going back to that event, um, when the client said, "Just tell me what problem you solve." all the agencies got really excited I'm like, oh great um, brilliant well what's what's the right channel to reach you on you know we can reach you on social media we can it's on twitter on linkedin we can send you emails we can send you you know letters we can invite you to events what what's the what's the sort of magic formula and you know how did this company that suddenly got your attention you know how did how did they get your attention what's the the magic bullet and the client was like well, i don't know i had no idea how what difference does that make so this idea that there's some sort of magical suite of you know delivery mechanisms or channels that you should use as a business whether it's a startup in some space or whether it's a an agency business doesn't matter if you've got something which is really useful and solves a problem then you know send it by carrier pigeon you know (laughs) write it on a note and stick it to a brick stuck it through the window maybe don't do that but it really doesn't matter (laughs) i think if you can solve a problem for somebody then um you know then you're in a good place i think um uh, people sometimes feel like that's a negative position to take. It doesn't have to be framed in a negative way, but you know, people buy uh, solutions to problems, and they buy expertise. They buy things that they don't know how to do or information they don't have. So the better you characterise the the use case for your startup or for your agency, then the better off you'll be. W- would you give that same answer? You know, of you know, communicating your problem to you know, the kind of challenges and the future challenges of brand communication, you know, in general, uh, you know, just the issues that uh, that startups and big brands have um, talking to talking to people, you know, uh, getting themselves out there. Would you say it's the same answer? Just communicate your problem clearly? Yeah, I think um, one of the, the, I suppose, the conclusions that I've reached having I don't know, probably work with 50 or 60 different um, organizations in the last three years, you know, within the guide of, uh, guise of co-definery. Um, people talk a lot about proposition um, and they use lots of different definitions of it. And I'm not here to sort of claim the original dictionary definition of it, but the way I think about proposition is that it's the most succinct expression of your strategy. 
Uh, the reason I think that is because a lot of people think about proposition as if it's it's kind of the wrapping or the packaging or the bow wrapped around what you do. So I know that people think that when I ask them what their proposition is and they say things like, oh, well, it depends what meeting we're in. It depends who we're talking to. It depends what we're selling. Mm. And that's fine to flex depending on the, the, the room that you're in. But what I would guard against is kind of flexing your entire business model with every meeting that you take. So I think having a proposition that speaks, you know, effectively articulates your strategy as a business means for one, that you have a strategy as a business, which again, many don't, they just want to grow. And that's obviously not a strategy, it's an aspiration. Um, but again, I think it's, it's the same principle. You know, if you are clear that, you know, your point of view on the marketplace uh, is expressed in the same way as if you were trying to get money out of your bank manager, you would say, right, we think there's a gap in the market here. We think these people are struggling to solve this problem. Um, we're going to build a business that um, that solves it. Um, please lend me £10 million, bank manager, or <laughs> client, we're trying to solve this problem for you. Would you like to buy? It's kind of the same narrative, really. Mm -hmm. And I think the people that don't grasp that are in that constant state of dissatisfaction. Have we got a proposition right today? Was it the way I said it out loud today? Maybe we should change the credentials deck you know, who's got the 15th version of the credentials that we need to wind back from 16 to 15, just constantly distracted, constantly unfocused. And I think if you think of your proposition as a effectively, as I say, a, a succinct expression of your strategy, it means you can line up the rest of your business model behind it. Because of course, what you say when you're out there selling, trying to get, you know, attention and get clients through the door, that should be reflected in the way that you, you know, you deliver whatever it is that you deliver. It should be reflected in the way that you price everything that you deliver. Mm. And of course, all of that is your operating model. So there's a big difference between what you say out there in the market, this is what we sell. Um, you've, it's got to be consistent with the way that the business is put together in order to deliver the work or deliver the product, make money from it. Mm -hmm. You can't just make that stuff up as you go along. Otherwise, your entire business will be in a state of flux constantly. I think the the issue that startups run into, uh, and uh, maybe it's different. I, I know that it's different for you because uh, you're able to jump in and get business, you know, immediately. It doesn't work like that for every every startup. And what what I hear over and over again at the events that I do, and the startups that I talk to are, they're just not sure which one's right, right? So they start with, you know, I'm gonna do tech recruitment, like we're recruiting just technology people. And if they're not getting sales pretty soon, they're like, okay, well, we should put on there, we do tech recruitment and office office recruitment as well. And then if they don't get sales immediately, pretty soon, you know, within a couple of weeks, their website says, we do tech recruitment, office recruitment, this recruitment, this, 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 and it's like, now, now there's no focus, there's no special specialty. But the issue is, you know, uh, startups are worried that they're limiting themselves too much, and they're going to lose. They're going to lose business, you know. They're, or they're, they're going to limit themselves out of business to the point where there's just nobody. Uh, there's not enough clients out there for them. So how do you find that balance, you know, as a new company? How do you choose, you know, where should I draw my line and say that this is my specialty, and I and I don't do these other things, you know? How do I say no to to money coming in? I think is what what they're thinking when in, when in truth is their decisions are making them get, get no money. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, again, it's it's a, it's a an issue which must apply to everybody. You know, mm. when you start a business, you just need to keep the lights on and you're kind of scrabbling around, you know, wearing lots of hats, 
you know, it's kind of what we talked about before. This is where businesses start to, mm-hmm. a founder becomes the finance director, becomes the HR person, becomes the, you know, sales person and, and the networker and all the rest of it. Right. It's kind of typical, right? You might be a, a, a one person business on day one, you might be a small startup, whatever that kind of early stage looks like. You kind of have, um, it kind of makes sense. You kind of cast your net wide, you get as much money in, and that's what helps you decide what you're really good at. It helps you decide where you make most money, where you've created the most sort of happy and satisfied customers. Um, I don't think that there is, um, you know, a clear answer to say once you reach, you know, X amount in revenue or whether you reach X number of employees or you've been going for, you know, two and a half years or whatever that is, that you suddenly sort of reach a conclusion that actually now is the time to focus. Now we need to bring different people into the business with more clearly defined job roles. We need to look at the way that, you know, the business, um, you know, kind of value flows through the company. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got to work that out. And that's sometimes why uh, I think um, any kind of external view on that, whether it's from a non-exec or from a, you know, a kind of friendly advisor or from, you know, a consultancy or, you know, anybody that's got some experience, that is where that perspective is most helpful. Because, you know, I've seen 25, 30 year old agency business that are still kind of scrabbling around in the dirt trying to chase a tiny project here and a tiny project there because it's all they've ever done and it's the only way they know to operate the only way they know to structure themselves the only way they know to sell is to effectively commoditize themselves and to play the numbers game and just you know try and get through as many projects as they can equally other businesses are very very young and they're very lucky uh, or smart and right from the get-go they realize that you know what we want we've launched our business because we either see a very clear opportunity in the marketplace um, with a point of difference built in from the start which creates focus and clarity on our audience and what we sell or even if they don't have that there's a sense of um, you know what we just never want to be doing this again we never want to work like that again Mm. so just simply having something to move away from um, I often challenge my clients to think about what are they the antidote to and I think that's what creates focus just by saying well we're not going to be all things to all people we're not going to say the same as everybody else we want to do it differently because it's almost about why did you start the business in the first place you know what are you pissed off about what do you hate about what it is that you used to do or you know what is the the obvious open goal in the marketplace that other people just aren't realizing and i think these are the kind of pertinent questions if you're about to launch a business you know you've got to have some idea of what it is that you think you can do that's different um it is a balance for sure because again there's so many entrepreneurial stories where the original idea i mean facebook is the classic one the original idea bears no resemblance to the thing that it's become um and businesses do they evolve of course they do it's almost like the only the only certainty is that the the idea you had on day one is probably not the idea that's going to work on Mm -hmm. you know day 101 but um so again it is a balance it's a balance between you know maintaining um, you know your commitment and belief in the things that made you want to start a business the reasons why that business had a, a point of difference and an opportunity to thrive but equally you've got to be pragmatic and you've got to keep the doors open and the lights on right. so um, I guess in a roundabout way I suppose just emphasizing the point that you know don't just wing it don't make it up as you go along exclusively don't um, just keep on doing what you've always done because it seems to be working. I would encourage all entrepreneurs and founders and you know anyone running a business, you've got to find time to think about the future value of your business. You've got to think strategically um, and just 
with clarity about what it is that you're trying to achieve and, and why you're doing it. I think it's a very good um, uh, sort of an analogy from, from the world of sport. One of my clients is a, 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 an elite performance specialist. So um, one of the, the kind of canvases they play on is elite sport. So they have a great track record in coaching um, Olympic teams, for example. <clears throat> um, when they talk about performance, it's very different to the way that we tend to talk about performance in the corporate world. So in the corporate world, we talk about performance. You know, you might go and ask a founder or a chief exec or whatever, how's the business performing? Yeah, not bad, not bad. We're, um, you know, we're hitting our numbers for this quarter. Mm. We're a bit ahead, we're a bit behind. It tends to be very numer numerical. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it tends to be a, a kind of a problem to be solved. How are your people performing? Yeah, they're not bad. So-and-so is a bit of a, tr a challenge. You know, we're going to performance manage them out of the business. Or uh, it's, it's not a positive term a lot of the time. But if you look at the sporting world and the way that they define performance, it's less about the outcomes, which are obviously important, but performance is about how well you do the things you need to do in order to get the outcomes you want. And we don't really think about that in business enough. Certainly in the agency world, we think about the aspects of performance that count in sport, you know, diet, preparation, rehearsal, being well rested, mm -hmm. those kind of things. We don't think about any of that stuff. We rock up to meetings late. We've been up, you know, trying to rewrite a deck the night before. We've existed <laughs> on nothing but pizza and M&Ms for three days. We're pissed off because we've missed our, you know, daughter's birthday. Mm -hmm. That's not conducive to good performance on the day. Interesting. Some agencies refuse to rehearse pitches, for example, because they like to be spontaneous. And that may work for them. But again, when you look at how, um, you know, how to manage and improve performance systematically, you are going to start looking at all the different factors that combine to get you the kind of sales you want or the kind of um, you know growth you want in your business. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, this stuff doesn't tend to happen in um, you know just by organically. I think sure. um, you know, take the time as a leader to think about uh, what are you doing to help your business evolve beyond just being part of the day to day carve out some space to think about performance think about clarity and focus think about strategy otherwise you're just part of the problem as an entrepreneur you might right. not, you might even not really be an entrepreneur you might just be managing a business or not for very long well <laughs> not for very long well that, that that's great for anybody who's listening and wants to follow you or you know uh, see your articles what, what are some of the places they can do that uh the most common social media uh, areas that you that you use people can follow you well if you ask my friends they'll probably take less time uh to tell you about the places i'm not because <laughs> they're sick of uh, of content from code finery appearing in their feeds but um uh linkedin is a good place um uh, uh if you search under my name and um on twitter under ro bon and um, I also write a column in, um, uh, in Marketing Week, so that's another good place to, uh, to find me uh, uh, pontificating. I just want to thank you again for you know, coming out at, you know, in London, you know, in, the, in, the, in the weather today, <laughs> and to chat with me. You know, it's just greatly appreciated to you know, share your stories and you know, your experience. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Andrew. And I, uh, I hope your listeners um, enjoy the content. Cheers. Thank you all so much. And uh, see you next time.